Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Fun Boat Diplomacy Podcast. Isn't this a surprise? Uh, more than a year since my last episode, I'm back, and there's a lot to explain. I'm uh, I'm no longer based in San Francisco, but I'm on the other side of the planet, halfway around the world in Wrocław, Poland. How did I get here? What have I been doing in the last year? That's what I'm going to be covering in this episode. This is going to be the first episode that I've done without a guest. It's just going to be me, and I'm going to recap what I've been doing in the last year uh, so you guys can get caught up, and also so I can explain what the podcast might look like looking forward, given my current uh, situation as a student uh, in Europe again. So... The last episode I recorded was episode 47, that was with Andrew Diao, and it was when I was living in San Francisco, and Andrew was a guest at the Pacific Tradewinds Hostel, and it was during the last couple days that I was um, I was working at Pacific Tradewinds, because a few days after that, uh, on July 4th, my friend Deanna and I started our road trip uh, down the California coast, so um, on July 4th, we spent that in Dolores Park, my favorite spot in San Francisco, and we watched the fireworks from our rooftop fireworks in Chinatown. And the next day on July 5th, that's when we went over to Oakland and we took a we rented a car and we went up north actually to Point Reyes first, spent the night there and spent the next day there and then um, drove down to Monterey. And if other people are uh, doing this trip as well or getting some sort of inspiration for this trip, I would recommend passing through Santa Cruz first. Santa Cruz is between Monterey and, um, and, and San Francisco, and that's a really, really beautiful little town, and I highly recommend it. But we passed by because I've been there before and wanted to fill my days with things that I haven't done before, so I went down to Monterey and... Didn't really explore Monterey that much, actually. We visited Carmel, which is right next to it. Um, visited the beach there, where we got really sunburned, which was a, a painful thing that lingered throughout our entire trip after that. But we went down to Big Sur as well, passed through Big Sur again on the way down the Pacific Coast Highway, the classic drive that people dream of doing. People from all over the world dream of doing the Pacific Coast Highway. And it it did live live up to its uh, to expectations. We then did Pismo Beach and then stayed a couple days in Santa Barbara. I don't really understand how students at UC Santa Barbara um, are so successful. They they the campus the campus of their university is right next to the beach. There's beautiful people everywhere, and the weather is. Always the same, always beautiful, warm and sunny. So, uh, personally, I don't know how I would fare as a student at UC Santa Barbara. It's also very expensive, so it seems like a recipe for disaster for me. But generally, a beautiful place would probably be an amazing place to live. Uh, after a couple days in Santa Barbara, we went down to LA. That was our last stop. We were staying in the heart of Hollywood, um, Hollywood Boulevard, which is around the corner from us in Los Angeles. Uh, the thing about Los Angeles was I went in with fewer expectations than other places because all the guests that came to the hostel I was working at in San Francisco, they always said they had uh, preferred San Francisco over LA, and if they could do it over, they would have rather spent all the time they spent in LA in, in uh, San Francisco instead. So I went in thinking I might not like it, but I, I did enjoy living there for a year when I was in second grade. So with those two uh, forces uh, in mind, I went in and really did enjoy my time in Los Angeles. Uh, really was amazed that, uh, you know, with adult eyes seeing the just strength of the culture of, of Hollywood because people from all over the world know the movies that have been produced and the characters 
and just the vibe that uh, that is evoked by LA. And we were at this, I think it was like a department store right on the Hollywood uh, Hollywood Boulevard. And they had these pillars, these massive marble pillars with the Academy Award winning films of each year wrapped around these pillars. Just, I don't know how many pillars were there, how many uh, Academy Awards have been around for like a hundred years or so. That can't be right. Anyway, just movies that people from around the world adore and see as icons of culture and that's all produced in Hollywood. Santa Monica Pier was uh, it was a really unique moment in history for, for, for both uh, Deanna and I that when we were there that's when around the time when Pokemon Go launched and everyone at Santa Monica Pier it was just flooded with people playing Pokemon Go in their little groups and on their looking down at their cell phones and just running around and, and, and hunting for Pokemon and it's this moment in in augmented reality and technology where it's this social bringing together of people to partake in this uh, leap forward in technology. Of course Pokemon Go I think has fallen off since then but um, I, I never really got into it but it was really cool to see it happen at Santa Marca. Um, apparently Santa Monica was the was one of the most popular spots for playing Pokemon Go. Um, after that, I we parted ways. So I I flew to to Seattle and spent a week in Seattle and then a week in Portland and then I returned to San Francisco and spent a couple weeks because I was attending the Outside Lands Festival that year. And I ended up, instead of using my paid ticket to go to, to see the artists at Outside Lands, I got a job pouring wine for the festival. And the way it works was when, when we got there, there was a whole bunch of, uh, of, of wine sellers and their brands and representatives from their brands at each of these booths and we were to pick one of these booths and stick with them for the the whole three days and i i saw that one of them was called claypool sellers and i thought i looked at the the lineup and les claypool was playing the the, the bass player of primus was playing with sean lennon uh, john lennon's son in their in their group called the claypool lennon delirium whose uh, their album came out uh, before the festival and i really enjoyed it and so I thought I put two and two together and I thought this is this Les Claypool's wine and I looked it up and I it, yes it was it was Les Claypool's wine so when when I arrived that morning uh, to to work uh, pouring wine I ran to Claypool Cellars to uh, work for them for the three days it was great the, a huge shout out to them for providing me with that opportunity they were just really amazing just uh, we weren't allowed to drink at the uh, at the job, but they kept pouring me tequila shots and insisting that I drink with them. So that was a great time. And the rest of the days, each day that was done about one thirty, two o'clock or so, and I could enjoy the rest of the festival just like a normal uh, festival goer. Uh, and then after the Outside Lands Festival, I had lined up. Um, so I was done working at Pacific Tradewinds, and so I had. A job lined up at the Mellow Mountain Hostel in Lake Tahoe and I didn't know how long I was gonna stay there but it was just a change in scenery for me I was I mean I love San Francisco but I wanted to change it up a bit see a little bit more of California and I heard so much about um, about Lake Tahoe and it's an interesting story how I ended up in Tahoe there was when I first started working at Pacific Tradewinds in San Francisco there was a girl, Mayu, from Finland, who was a cleaner at Pacific Trade Winds, quite good friends. And there was a guest who is from Australia who was going to Tahoe to go skiing. He had a ski pass. Oh, it's snowboarding, snowboarding. He had a pass to do. Obviously, I'm not so into the snow sports, or I would have been more into um, their plans. But 
So he needed to go to a sporting goods store and pick up some gear. And she went with him, and uh, he was entered into some sort of raffle or sweepstakes sort of contest to um, <clears throat> to win a a a snowboarding pass or a, a mountain pass uh, up in Tahoe. But he already had one. He ended up winning it, and because Mayu went with him, uh, she ended up getting that pass. He gave it to her uh, just so that they could all go and enjoy it. And that's the first time that I heard of Tahoe. She went up, had a great time, came back, and then uh, headed back up again and ended up uh, ended up staying there as the assistant manager at the Miller Mountain Hostel, um, where later on I would get a job at. So that was last summer and into the fall. And so it's kind of funny that fate sort of worked itself out that way. So I took a bus to, yeah, so I, I took a bus directly from, from Oakland to, it went to, no, I took, I took a train, a train from Oakland to Sacramento, from Sacramento took a bus to South Lake Tahoe. And then Mayu came and picked me up and it was great. I, um, not immediately, but very quickly, uh, became acclimated to the place and it, it was near the end of the summer season when people, most people who were, who were working at the Mellow Mountain Hostel, um, they had uh, jobs on the side to earn money and near the end of the summer is when, you know, the, the low season starts and, um, everybody had extra time to go. We went camping, we went hiking and did all kinds of things everywhere and just a beautiful place it's it's the um it, it, if you imagine the map or the shape of the state of california where on the eastern side it's sort of it uh there's this corner where it, uh where nevada nestles right into it the center of that corner is where south lake tahoe the center of south of of, uh, of lake tahoe is south lake tahoe of course is in the south shore and that's where I was staying, just about uh, two blocks away from the state line with Nevada. So as soon as as soon as Nevada started, that's where the casinos started popping up. So I spent about a month and a half just working at the hostel, uh, transitioning from a cleaner to a front desk a receptionist, and then it got really boring <laughs> in South Lake. There there really wasn't anything to do. And it's still fun being around the, the the people. We got very close, but there, there's we would wake up and not really know what we were doing for the day if we weren't working. And if, even if we were working, there wasn't much to do outside of work. Um, so I went down the street, and there's a place called Base Camp Hotel. So I went down there and asked if I could help out, and I got an, ended up getting a job there. And, it was it was great during low season. It's a, it's a great time working at, in South Lake Tahoe, no matter what you're doing, but especially if you're front desk, because um, at at that hotel there was uh, it's it's I, to me it's it's a bit of a, it's a little more expensive than what I think the hotel itself warrants, but people really like the the decor and the the atmosphere of the hotel, and that's that's what people come and pay for, but during low season, it's a bit more expensive than, than what I think people expect. And there's people, people have uh, stuff to do, um, at that time around October and November. So I'd be checking in maybe seven people maximum, uh, every day that I was working. So I would just sit there and, um, I would cook myself some food in the, the kitchen in the back. And there was, uh, also, I mean, I had my the computers to myself. I was working by myself most of the time, so I would just binge watch series. I, I knocked out a bunch of series at that time, and it was great. Just needed a, a warm body to be sitting there, and I was happy to provide it. And it was during this time in Tahoe that I was thinking about what I should do next in my life. And, you know, I, I don't really like to plan too far ahead, but I kind of like to have some sort of some sort of 
uh, put a stone in front of me so I know so I know where I'm I'm stepping next. So I had previously done attempted to do an Erasmus program, one of these Erasmus Mundus programs in Europe. Uh, that's why I was I was in Lisbon before. Um, I did one semester of a Master of Geospatial Technologies, and I really hated it, so I didn't end up finishing it. I did one semester and became a bartender at uh, at a, a chain of hostels in in Lisbon instead, and it was a great decision. I really really enjoyed it, but I yeah I kind of wanted to study something that I liked, and I've I've been getting in a lot uh, into economics in recent years and. Uh, and the importance of culture on top of my understanding of politics, international relations, philosophy, and uh, and war. War is my big issue, and I'm sure if you continue listening to Fun Boat Diplomacy into the future, we'll be covering a lot of war because that, cause that's what we're um, one of the things that we're uh, covering in in the courses here. But so I looked into the Erasmus Mundus program, looked down the list, and saw what fit for me. And uh, one of the programs popped out, it was the Erasmus Mundus uh, Global Studies, Master of Global Studies program, which is what I'm enrolled in now. And it, I, I looked through all the requirements, looked like I could do it, and that's, that's when I decided this is uh, what I want to apply for. But there were a lot of requirements and a lot of documents that needed to be, be verified and this and that, and so... I I knew I had to go back uh, go back home, and to to sort these documents out. So near the end of November, I moved away from Tahoe. I went back to San Francisco for a couple of days, and then flew out from there to go back home to the East Coast, where I would have to gather my diplomas and transcripts and uh, all kinds of documents, write my letter of motivation and things like this to then submit to the uh, to a Leipzig University, who's the home institution of this program. But this was there's a healthy balance of of the travel bug on the one hand and the the ambitious sort of career oriented not really career-oriented, but sort of uh, long-term vision of, uh, of, of my life. So uh, on the one hand, I was back to put together this application package and also to spend the holidays with my family and friends from, from, uh, <clears throat> from back home. But I also had planned to travel to Asia with my parents. So my mom and dad wanted to uh, go back to Taiwan, uh, just all of us together in Taiwan for the first time in about seven years. And so I said, yeah, but um, I would like to visit other places while I'm over there. You know, while I'm over on that side of the of the world, I'm going to, to, to go explore a bit uh, over there as well. So the plan was, uh, when all was said and done, that I was going to go to visit Vietnam as well, and then use Taiwan as my jumping off point to go to China and also Japan, because I had known people who were from all these places or were working or doing something in these places that I could meet up with. So that was the plan. And so I spent the holidays uh, back at home. and. I gained a bit of an appreciation for for the things back on the East Coast. I've I sort of distanced myself from it for a long time, but but uh, on this particular uh, visit home, I I had a really good time, and uh, I appreciated the little things of being at home. My mom's cooking, and you know this just not having much to do and, and really being able to like read a book, for example. It's really busy when you're living in in a big city and there's a lot to do. So I appreciated having the opportunity to just sit and read a book or um, or, or, or watch a series with, without any distractions, things like this. And I also visited uh, a lot of my friends who live in Philadelphia 
a lot of my friends from high school, they ended up moving to Philadelphia after college. And so every other weekend I was there just uh, hanging out. Have the, the food situation in Philadelphia is just really amazing. It's such a heritage of food and there's it's actually a really diverse city and there's so much good food. And my friends were there to show me all that. And I ended up spending New Year's uh, at a silent disco in Philadelphia, which was really, really fun. I had a lot of fun because I didn't end up paying for the whole package, which was to get drinks on top of that because everybody paid for that package. But it turned out that nobody really got that much to drink because the lines were so long. So I was just there. You know, I had a couple beers before and just dancing. It's a really good time. And so I gained a huge appreciation for Philadelphia during this time. January and February were dedicated to earning money for my trip in Asia. So my parents actually helped me get this job with a family friend who runs this fulfillment company. They're kind of like, it's kind of like an Amazon warehouse, but what they do is they, they receive shipments from from Amazon and Gap and Nike and all these companies that produce, it's mostly shoes and clothes and like basically apparel and uh, and other things here and there but what we would do is we would uh, we receive it and then repackage it um, so that it could be put together really efficiently and sent to consumers who had actually ordered it in Taiwan and in Hong Kong so my job was to receive packages and repack these uh, items uh, after unpacking them and yeah I really I enjoyed it it's it was more independent work and I would just listen I'll listen to podcasts all day just from 10 a.m. to 5 6 p.m. listening to podcasts and working with my hands putting stuff together uh, putting boxes together and wrapping stuff and I earned enough money to to go travel in 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 Asia uh, in by the end of February I was on a plane to uh, to to go to to go to Asia. So it was from New York City, JFK Airport. I flew to Taipei, and I had different airlines. So I flew into Taipei with Eva Air, and usually how it works is you you don't have to to exit. You don't have to actually go into the country uh, out the gate uh, to to board your next plane. But because this was, this was a budget airline, Vanilla Vanilla Air. I think it was a Japanese airline, budget airline. I had to actually exit the gate, go to the counter, and get my get my boarding pass. And I exited with my Taiwanese passport because <laughs> it's actually because the line was shorter. So I just went went ahead and went there, exited with my Taiwanese passport, no problems. Waited around a bit. And I went to the counter, and I showed him my passport, and they said, uh, uh, "Did you? What, uh, there's no stamp that you entered." And I said, "Oh yeah, I used. Oh, th there was a stamp, but I had." So they looked at my passport, and there wasn't, uh, there wasn't the permission to leave because I hadn't done the military service. They asked me, "Have you done the military service?" And I said. No, <laughs> and but I have the sticker in the back that says uh, I'm exempt because I I don't I don't live in Taiwan. I live overseas. I'm a Taiwanese citizen. I live overseas, and they said, oh, but you need to have this extra uh, stamp every time that you leave, so that that's the, that's a permission to leave, and you don't have it this time. And I said, oh fuck, what do I do about this? And they 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 took me to the this little immigration window, and they. And uh, they, they explained the situation, and the, the lady said, what time's your plane leave? And I said, in, in about an hour. And she said, okay, just fill out this form, I'll give you the stamp, and you can leave. I don't know. So this was a huge relief to me. My, I, was, I was really preparing to have my entire trip ruined by having to do some military service in Taiwan, which would have been a huge waste of time and a real blower, but didn't end up having to do that. And I... I was told to use my American passport every time I entered and exited Taiwan instead of my Taiwanese passport.
because of this um, inconvenience. So from Taipei, I flew to Ho Chi Minh City. I spent a couple days. I spent one day in in uh, in Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon, and then went to the Mekong Delta for a couple days. So it was just, the first thing I realized when I got to Vietnam was how cheap everything was. I know people say it's cheap, but you until you put it into practice, you don't really get a feel for how cheap everything is. But my tour to the Mekong Delta was $25. This was a two-day tour, bus rides, boats, boat tours, um, food, accommodation for a night, all included for $25. Just really amazing. And it was just, southern Vietnam was this situation where it was, it was March, no, it was end of February, early March, where I had been in frigid, frigid East Coast weather and arrived in South Vietnam and just, just so, it's just so hot during the day. You, you really can't, you can hardly think, you can't get around in the sun. Just really a crazy clash of atmospheres. And I was just imagining how it must have been during the war where you, you, you call on some... 18 year old kid from Idaho and you drop drop him into this environment that's so hot and you throw 70 pounds of gear on him tell him to march through the jungle with everything trying to kill you and if if I had opposed the Vietnam war before I I opposed it even that much more because of this experience it was just a short stay. It was a third of my of my uh, trip in Vietnam was in the south, and from Saigon I flew to Da Nang. Didn't spend any time in Da Nang because I went down to Hoi An, and Hoi An was my my favorite destination actually in Vietnam because it was just really formatted in a friendly way to visitors and. It's just a really cute little town with these canals and boats and you can ride around everywhere on bicycle. And I was staying at this homestay with, it was run by this, this uh, really, really awesome Vietnamese lady, the, the, or my homestay mom. Uh, she actually didn't have the homestay open at the time, but I called directly because my friend who had passed through Hoi An earlier in the month had stayed there, but she was doing re renovations there and wasn't actually open for business. But because I called directly, she said, okay, yeah, you can stay. That'd be fine. And I had the whole house to myself. Um, it was like $7 a day, $7 a night. So just really amazing. The bicycles were around for me to ride around. And then I got sick. I must have eaten something that, uh, I don't know, food poisoning, whatever. But one day I just felt really feverish and uh, I felt really cold even though it was hot and I knew something was up. I hope I didn't, I hoped I didn't get malaria because my sister got malaria when she was in in uh, Indonesia when she studied abroad. So I really, really, really hoped that it wasn't malaria. But uh, well, I was really concerned at first and then the homestay mom, so the homestay mom, Lee, she took me on her motorbike and took me to the local uh, the local doctor. There's this little little local pharmacy with a doctor in the back, a husband and wife, um, and they they took care of me. They they gave me a checkup and then gave me all the drugs that I needed, and then in a couple days I was fine, and uh, I just spent. I, I had the intention to go up to Hue and visit that city. But uh, because I got sick, I ended up staying in Hoi An. But it was it was just really great. Just uh, the classic uh, the classic uh, images of of Vietnam the uh, the beaches, the rice fields, the the ox. I just had a really good time in Hoi An and fond memories. Even though I got I got a bit sick, um, and I did get to do a couple day trips. I went out to up to Da Nang to see the Marble Mountains for, for an afternoon. 
and then back down to uh, it's a little bit west of to the the Mison Sanctuary, which is a bunch of a bunch of temples that are actually older than Angkor Wat, uh, and that was also really cool. And after that, I flew from Da Nang to Hanoi, and Hanoi was like a rainy version of Saigon. It was springtime is rainy season there, and it was just raining every day, gray, wet everywhere. Um, and we, I also got to check out Katba Island and Halong Bay, which are just uh, things that everyone wants to go do when they go to Vietnam, but uh, it was foggy and rainy and it's just a miserable <laughs> few days in, uh, in, in Hanoi, but there were some things to be enjoyed there, but I was ready by the end to to uh, to go to Taiwan. So from Hanoi, I flew to Taipei, and I met up with my parents there, and it, we spent a few days together. It was, it was nice. It was me, my dad, and my mom, and we got to see family members, and everyone's really friendly and happy, and we're all eating a lot. <laughs> this is what you do in Taiwan. You, uh, you eat and uh, I'd be hard-pressed to find uh, better cuisine, uh, more dear to my heart than, than Taiwanese. Um, but uh, I mean, I grew up on it and been back to Taiwan many, many times. So it has a special place in my heart. Uh, we went down to uh, the central part of Taiwan where my, my parents are from and uh, honored our ancestors. So you go to the, the graves of the ancestors and you sort of clean it up, uh, pull out all the weeds um, and, and burn away the, uh, the dead brush that's around to sort of cleanse the graves. And, uh, and then you also burn the, uh, the, I don't know what it's called actually. It's like, it's like heaven cash. It's this, it's, you buy these stacks of, uh, of gold paper and then you, you burn it in this, this cauldron and it's supposed to symbolize that you're 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 continuing to support financially support your ancestors uh in the afterlife which is actually kind of funny um probably not the greatest for the environment and kind of wasteful but hey that's the culture so we did that and then just a few days after that i was on my way to mainland china and so the way that it works with mainland china is you as a Taiwanese citizen, you can't show your passport. You can't show your Taiwanese passport when you enter mainland China, because uh, mainland China mainland China doesn't recognize Taiwan as an independent country. There's a long history. Um, we can go over that another time. But uh, the situation is that they can't check your passport because they that would be acknowledging that you are from a different country, which is not in their eyes the case. So what you do if you are a, a Taiwanese uh, citizen is you tell the Chinese government that you want to go to the mainland. And they, in two days, issue a uh, an identity card, a Chinese identity card for the special province of Taiwan. And so you receive that, and when you go to the customs uh, in, in China, you give them the card and they swipe it and that's it. You're in. It's easier for a Taiwanese citizen to enter mainland China than it is for a mainland Chinese person. They have to have their passports checked. They have to have their permissions all checked that they for leaving the country and entering the country. And so that was really mind-blowing to me, but not the case for Taiwanese citizens. So I entered in Chengdu which is in Sichuan province, right next to Tibet. And that's where my friend James um, is from. And he and uh, the the owners, actually, of the Mellow Mountain Hostel in Tahoe were roaming around that area uh, already for a few days, and I was going to meet up with them. Or, But uh, as soon as I landed, I realized a couple things. One, there, if I, if I didn't know Mandarin, I would be in huge trouble because... Nobody there speaks English, 
and um, they have their own dialect. So even with my Mandarin, it was pretty difficult to get around. Uh, they understood me. I didn't understand them, but the from the airport, I got I ended up getting to where I needed to go, uh, which was this hostel I was staying at in the center of the city, and and I also realized that all of my technological accoutrements don't don't they don't work in China. Google Maps wasn't working, so I wouldn't have been able to find my find my hostel. Facebook wasn't working, so I couldn't contact anyone. Instagram wasn't working. That's less important, but so everything I use on my phone just stopped working as soon as I arrived in mainland China, and so I had to go just basically fly blind um, for a week, or you could see it as I was. I really had my eyes open. Either way, it was is a shock to me. So I spent some days in Chengdu, and I then met up no I took a tour it was a I went down to Lausanne where they have the uh, the, the biggest Buddha I think in the world and then I, I came back to Chengdu and uh, linked up with my friend James and from there he took me uh, to his hometown Jiajiang which is close to Lausanne and this, he said his hometown. He said his hometown wasn't a city until about five years ago. So five years ago, it was just this. There was it was just farmland, and it wasn't until five years ago when they the the tile industry really took off there. It Jiajiang and one other city in China are major are the major tile manufacturers in the country, and if you imagine how much construction is going on has been going on in China, and you really get a feel for how much wealth it's, gets generated um, in, in these cities. And so all of his, his childhood friends own tile factories, and they are just rolling in cash. We would go out and have meals that were, the bill came out to like 300, maybe 400 US dollars, and one person would just get up and pay for it. I didn't pay for anything in those days. Um, that I spent uh, in Jiajiang, and I also didn't pay for uh, a place to stay because one of his friends also owned a hotel, and I got to stay for free at one of the nicest hotels I've ever stayed at. And then I went back to Chengdu and spent a few days hanging out with pandas and eating really spicy food, you know, the usual when you do there, and then went back to Taiwan, uh, spent a week there, and then went to Japan, and I spent most of my, so it was about, it was a week, seven days in Japan, and most of my time was spent in Osaka with my friend Deanna, the one who I, who I did a road trip with, and so she's, she lives there as a, as a translator and English instructor there, and she showed me around Osaka, it's really mind-blowing, what, what really surprised me, what really was interesting to me about Japan was that and everything has so much detail. It's you, There are things there with such a level of detail that you wouldn't even have imagined that it could have such detail. So everything is just so well-designed, well-crafted, well-made uh, that it's such a consumer culture because you just want everything. The department stores are massive and they have all these goods. Just It's such an unbelievable amount of of consumer goods that can be purchased there. And there are things that I didn't even know that I wanted that I, that I just had to buy. So I got a camera lens there. I bought all kinds of little knickknacks and foods and snacks and just went against my entire philosophy of not buying a bunch of things, just m more minimal than, than what overtook me in Japan. And the food, the, I mean, the food in Taiwan is amazing. As I said, probably the best. China was really just incredible. Probably the most aromatic food I've ever had. And Vietnam, I mean, Vietnamese cuisine is among my top favorites as well. And it, it, you can't, you can hardly uh, beat a bowl of pho. And for about two US dollars in, in uh, Vietnam itself was uh, just incredible. But in Japan, the food, guys, it's 
it's so diverse. There's just such a diversity of flavors and textures and, and, and techniques. Um, I think out of all the places, Japan might have had the my favorite food of those four places. It was just, and it's not even expensive. It's like $8 for a huge portion. And there's these the, the, I really love these restaurants where you, you go in and there's a machine and you tap on it, all the things that you want and it print and you pay for it and it prints out this little ticket and you just give the ticket to the cook. He takes care of it, brings it to you. You don't have to say a word. That's it. And I really like this mentality. It's all these people sitting by themselves at the bar eating by themselves. And, uh, you know, I mean, other cultures where you sit together and eat and that's all great, but sometimes you just wanna you just wanna be in your own little bubble, and uh, and and knock out some knock out a bowl of noodles and some rice. What's wrong with that? So I really I really like that. Maybe the the Japanese overdo that that uh, aspect a bit, but but hey, it was perfect for my my purposes um, when I was wandering by myself in Japan. So we did Osaka, did a day in Kyoto, which is really beautiful, but it's really crowded because of how touristy it was. And also it was the tail end of the the cherry blossom bloom. So that was one aspect. And then from there I went to Okinawa. And I'd been really into visiting Okinawa for a long time because I'm had uh, my parents had told me that there was a ferry that went from Taipei to, to Naha. Uh, or it might have been another part of Okinawa, but uh, to Okinawa that used to it used to run, but now uh, it doesn't it doesn't run any longer. But uh, I flew from Osaka to Naha, and uh, some, one of the things that really is interesting to me about Okinawa is the American presence there. So the United States Marines have been there since since the end of the second world war and actually most of the island is occupied as as a, as a military base as or several military bases by the united states military and so the navy and the marines operate out there and the just the images and stories that i know about the battle of okinawa it's so a little bit of background information the battle of okinawa was the final battle between the United States and Japan uh, in, in, at the end of the, the Second World War. And it was where there was the most casualties. I, I, don't, I don't remember off the top of my head how many, but just the fighting was so ferocious and it was such uh, just insane weather. It was always raining and it was always muddy. And it was always these stories of the Marines, they would fight tooth and nail and just lose so many soldiers and there's just such carnage and you would be you'd be fighting up this muddy hill carrying all your equipment and just getting trench foot and just not it's just a terrible time and you 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 make your way up to the top of this the the ridge and then you look over and it's just another ridge or you have to do the same thing just fight an enemy that will not surrender and that captured my imagination when I when I watched uh, the Pacific. It's the HBO series about the the Pacific War, and it just looks so horrific. And it doesn't sound like a great reason to visit a place, but but uh, I'm really into the the military aspect of history, and so I visited uh, with that also in mind. And I could not have had better weather. Actually, it was. Okinawa was really cool. It was kind of like how Taipei was um, maybe some years ago. It's less crowded, um, but it has that distinct Japanese feel. So it was a nice mix of, of both. And and just wandering around Shuri Castle and all the ridges, you, you really got a sense of how how it was to, to to maybe fight there, but also just to live there, just to experience the the island and all its uh, landscapes and its sort of more tropical feel more like taiwan than it is mainland japan and it is really a different place but still japan and then you have all these marines walking around it was it was like a sort of alternate reality truman show type uh type feeling so that was my last destination in 
in Asia. Um, I spent a few weeks um, just in Taiwan, and it was, on the one hand, it was miserable because I had to live with my mom for three weeks, just her and me, and there was no internet, no phone service, no television, because the house we have in Beitou, or that district in Taipei, just nobody, I mean, we don't live there most of the time we're living in the United States, so it's just this uh, vacant house. My um, my aunt, one of my aunts and uncles live there from time to time, uh, but usually it's just an empty house, so nothing going on. And I would spend most of my days at the Beitou Library, uh, which is actually a really nice library. I would just be there sipping tea, watching shows and reading books and downloading done, downloading PDFs to, um, to read. And uh, it was actually not bad, not a bad lifestyle living in Taiwan. Just had to bear living with my mom for a while. And so that brings me to, where are we now? So I decided to spend my summer in Tahoe again. And so that would that was uh, June to uh, through the end of August, so that was three months. And so I got my old job back at the Mellow Mountain Hostel. Thanks to you guys again, you guys are awesome. And I got my old job back at Base Camp Hotel as well. And so I worked every single day throughout the summer, and had I had one day off, but otherwise worked every single day. But it was nice. I. I Every morning, got up really early and went for a hike up uh, Heavenly Mountain, just around the corner from uh, where I was staying, and then um, would uh, prepare for work. And so I worked eight hours a day, almost every day, and um, got to save up all the money that I needed for tuition for the uh, upcoming program. So I got accepted in June of this past year. And, but I was informed that I didn't get the full ride scholarship, so I had to pay for it myself, but it's not so expensive. It's, it's in comparison to, uh, to the university in America, it's a steal. So I was able to earn all of my tuition money over the summer, and I left Tahoe, went down to San Francisco, and flew back to the East Coast. So it's like, I did that in the in in the winter and then I was doing it in the summer again went back to the east coast and needed to um, I need the last thing I needed to sort out was my visa for Poland so I the first thing I did was go to the, the consulate in New York apply for my visa and then just wait for my visa to arrive so I spent some time at home spent some some time in Philadelphia spent some time uh, in New York and then finally just a couple weeks ago, flew out from New York to Berlin and spent a couple days in Berlin, my favorite city in the world, and then took a bus to Wroclaw. So now I'm here, you guys are all caught up, and yeah, so I'm living here in Wroclaw, Poland, uh, studying at the university here, doing my master's in global studies. So what's global studies? I had to explain this to people time and again in the past year, and I hope this will be the last time I have to explain it one more time. So global studies is the politics, culture, social uh, ramifications of globalization around the world. And a big component of it for me is the aspect of getting to know people from around the world their perspectives about globalization and the the status quo, the the political climate of the world, and uh, and and how economics and culture are viewed as well around the world, because people have all kinds of formats of of governance and and monetary policy, fiscal policy around the world, and that's what I'm really interested in, and what kind of views that there are on the importance of culture. And so I've already met so many people, and I had an idea that I would be re, um, restarting the Fun Boat Diplomacy podcast. And so I got a new microphone, and I have made plans to to record new episodes with 
with the people I meet here, uh, mostly the, um, the my fellow students, and but we'll see what where it goes. Uh, I didn't really have a plan, or I didn't really uh, know what was uh, what I should expect it, um, should have expected when I started Funboat Diplomacy, and I don't really know where it's gonna go from here, but I have an idea that uh, it, it's gonna be a lot about how it's how it is living here in Poland uh not just for me but for the for my uh, fellow students here and what kind of things we're learning in class what kind of topics we're covering what kind of perspectives we're seeing and hearing from and the discussions we're having in in class as well as the readings we might we might be taking a look at uh in preparation for class and also the uh, uh, travel stories. I mean, I started Fun Boat Diplomacy as a sort of bridge between people in regards to travel and living abroad. So I hope to continue that here. So that's a rough estimate on what kind of topics and things that you should uh, expect from Fun Boat Diplomacy moving forward. And uh, I hope you're excited. I'm excited. And I hope that this episode was uh, was interesting to you. I mean, I was just sitting here rambling about my past year, and I'm I'm pretty sure I missed some things that I probably would probably have liked to to cover. But but it was such a packed year, and I was just trying to think of things off the top of my head. So I I probably missed a few things. But at any rate, I hope you had a good time listening to this new, revamped, revitalized podcast. And I hope. You will be back for more episodes in the future. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys for listening, and and I hope you will join me in future episodes of the Fun Boat Diplomacy Podcast. Take care, guys. (laughs) 